Yes, I know. Good evening, everybody, and welcome. Thank you for joining us tonight for another one of our live broadcasts. We're so glad to have you all with us. And I'm excited to have a special guest and a special friend on tonight. And I will go ahead and share his screen now. Good evening, Randall. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Can you hear me clearly now? Yes, can you hear me? I can, and your audio is sounding much better. Glad to have you on the broadcast with us. So, for those of you who do not recognize the gentleman who is on the broadcast with me, I am very excited tonight as we get ready for this Friday conference <laughs> to introduce a very, very good friend of mine. This is Randall DeMerchant. Now, I have a former introduction, which I'll give in just a moment. When I asked him to join us a couple weeks ago, I said, how do you want me to introduce you? And he said, just say I'm some guy Desi knows who can play the piano. So there you go. There's our introduction. This is some guy I know who can play the piano. No, I'm joking. We're not really going to do that. Randall DeMerchant has a bachelor's of music in voice from Urshan College, and he is pursuing a master of church music in piano and voice. He's double majoring at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And Randall, as I understand it, you will be done at the end of this summer, correct? Yes, yes. Long-awaited completion. So long, long-awaited completion. For those of you with seminary backgrounds, at this point, you have more credits than an MDiv by double majoring, correct? Uh, pretty close. Yeah, I'm pretty like close. a class away from an MDiv. Yeah, exactly. So, so he has both theological and music chops in short note. He lives in Louisville, Kentucky with his wife, Erica, and their gorgeous baby boy, Sebastian. Maybe at some point we'll have to get a picture or something. I'm a little biased because he's my friend, but he is definitely one of the most beautiful baby boys I have ever seen. And they also have two dogs, Aria and Felix. They attend Greater Life Apostolic Church, pastored by Alan and Mary Browning. And in addition to that, Randall is also an adjunct professor of music at Urshan College. So, Randall, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We are glad to have you on the broadcast. Go ahead, and I'm still getting some feedback that we're not hearing you correctly. So, can you go ahead and introduce yourself once again? Yeah, absolutely. So, my name is Randall DeMerchant. I live here in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, in a, what a state has, that has surprisingly become my home, a Canadian boy finding home in the South. And um, we're absolutely loving it here. We're part of a very vibrant church uh, that, you know, in, in my opinion, and, and what seems to be kind of a, a central figure in what God is doing here in this city, uh, both in this uh, changing uh, time that we're living in, um, but also even, even prior to that, the Lord was starting a work out of our church here in Louisville, Kentucky. So, Randall, forgive me. I am hearing... Now, for everyone, they're saying they can hear you, but they cannot see you. And I have no idea what's going on here because I apologize, folks. This is probably some error on my end. I can see both of us, but they are saying they're hearing you. So I'm going to turn you off and bring you right back. Let's see if we can get this to come on. All right. Okay, so... This is something new. We're now going to do a live interview. 
where I can hear you and the world can hear you, but apparently only I can see you and we have no idea what's going on. And since you can't see him, you can't see the smile on his face as he sits chill on his couch, sipping on his coffee with this great grin, great, great grin. Thinking. It's like radio. It's vintage. Yes, yes. I guess we're doing a we're doing a um, Friday with friends with a throwback Thursday vintage radio feel. As you see me talk, and you see a black box on the other side of the screen. So let's go ahead and try this again. I am so sorry. I am so so sorry. Oh, someone just had another idea. I wonder. This would be clunky. This is like a crazy crazy workaround like an incredibly crazy, dumb workaround. But can everyone now see my screen? <laughs> <laughs> and by seeing my screen, see a smaller video of Randy off to the side. Somebody suggested that to me. It's a really weird workaround, but perhaps this is something we can do. If someone would mind making a comment. All right, well, this is an odd, odd way to do it. But you are now in a tiny box inside a tiny box as I am sharing my screen while we do the rescreen. So at least people can now see you as you're talking. So well, I, I can't see you, but that's okay. I know what you look like, Brother Desi. <laughs> so I apologize for that delayed start. You have all been very, very patient with me. This is the craziest way we've ever had to do this so far. But Let's go ahead and get started. The reason I am delighted to have my friend Randy DeMerchant on with us tonight, in addition to working in his local church as part of the music team, he is, as I mentioned earlier, an adjunct professor of music at Urshan College. He's finishing up his master's of voice and piano at Southern Seminary. And so tonight I asked him if he'd come on and he and I have had many, many hours and hours and hours of conversation over the years talking about a theology of worship. And so let's start with the first question that we had prepared for you tonight. Would you be willing to share learning how to worship in spirit and truth? And, and what does that mean to you as a Christian? How is it that you learned as you've developed, Randy has been raised in an apostolic environment, and now he has continued to get professional training, and now he is a college music professor. So as an apostolic, what does it mean for you to worship in spirit and truth? So the, 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 the worshiping in spirit and truth, uh, that comes out of, out of the book of John, uh, the encounter uh, in, uh, with Jesus and a woman at the well, the Samaritan well. Uh, and, and it's an actually a really interesting passage. It's a really interesting uh, portion of, of the story of Jesus and his interactions uh, with, with people on the earth. Um, and, and he kind of has this conversation with this lady and they discuss uh, water from this well and, and, and then they go into worship practices and Jesus even, and uh, in John 4, Jesus even says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. And he keeps going from there and goes, but an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so that's kind of where we get this passage from. And so when we, we think about that, did we have a hiccup, Brother Desi? The screen just did a job. We did. I'm experimenting on the back end to see if I can get your video to come through a different way. It didn't work. But they're saying the audio is still solid. 
So oh, okay, good. <laughs> so that, that's where we get that little statement to worship in spirit and in truth, and it really has kind of been this uh, dialogue that it, that has been difficult for people to get involved in that conversation. What does that really mean, and, and how does that relate to us as apostolics? Um, and, and you know, to come to to any one specific conclusion uh, can can be difficult. I'm not a, a New Testament hermeneutics expert, um, but I, I absolutely love this passage of scripture because Jesus gives us hints as to how New Testament worship is going to look, how the church will worship in contrast to both the Jewish temple worship that was ha- taking place at that time, but also to what the Samaritans were doing uh, in their attempt to, to worship as well. So for me personally, how this kind of came about, um, it, it, it was a, a bit of an interesting journey um, th- that involved you know, several uh, life experiences, growing up in an apostolic church and wanting to truly know God, know his word, and to worship him correctly. Um, I was first challenged by this when I was a student at Urshan College. I had a professor there who uh, was faithfully exploring biblical worship and and what that was for apostolics and what an apostolic and oneness Pentecostal uh, theology of worship was and how that affected um, what we did on Sunday mornings and, you know, really kind of helped to create a framework for my my exploration of this passage of scripture and and ultimately the idea of Pentecostal worship. Um, But really what, what challenged me was an evangelism class that I took in my master's degree. At the time, I was uh, working off campus in, in a secular environment, and I was uh, the only apostolic at the time working in that space. And I was working with people from all different walks of lives, um, various uh, Christian traditions, Christian denominations with uh, different views of scripture, um, and then people who, who didn't believe in God, who didn't uh, have an understanding or even knowledge of scripture um, beyond uh, very elementary um, trivia knowledge, maybe is, is a good way to put it. And uh, these were good people. And, and it was interesting to see, as I was taking this evangelism class, my professor challenged us as to what the purpose of evangelism and missions was, and what is the purpose of worship, and was there a, an intersection at any point. And he pointed out an author who talked about uh, the ultimate goal of missions and evangelism is worship, because worship outlasts missions and evangelism. But the Christian who is worshiping here on this earth, their greatest form of worship and devotion is missions and evangelism. So he kind of created this circle, this cycle, that really got me thinking because I'm a musician. My default is when I think about worship, I think about what we do when we gather on Sunday morning. I uh, think of playing the piano, playing the organ, singing, selecting songs that encourage the heart, that uh, show us who God is, that tell us the things he has done, that help to build our hope for what is to come um, uh, in in his second return. But now uh, my idea of worship no longer fits within that framework anymore. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, outside of, wait a minute, 
on Sunday morning I'm worshiping, but my worship outside of church is sharing the gospel. So coming to those conclusions really impacted and changed how I worked in my, in my secular place of work. It changed how I spoke to people and how I interacted with them because, you know, ultimately we are given the spirit of God really and truly, Jesus says in Acts, that we're going to have the power after the Holy Spirit has come on us so that we can be witnesses primarily. And so to put it in its most simple form, worshiping in spirit and in truth will always lead us as believers, as Holy Ghost filled believers will always lead us back to a place of missions, of evangelism, of sharing the good news with those around us. And you even see that back in the book of John when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman because as she discovers who he is, she goes and tells all of her friends, those in her community, those around her, regardless of her past, regardless of her story, she shares with them that she has met Jesus and this great man and what he's done for her. Brother Luca, are you still there? I am still here. Can you hear me? I can. I can. Wonderful. So if you don't mind continuing, why don't you share with us a little more about your own story and how this evolved for you? Um, I know your background, but where did you start? Let me put it this way. How did you start doing church music? And then how Absolutely. did you see that shift as you came to college and then from there went on to do your master's degree at a seminary and how is how is your understanding of worship and your role in worship and that worship and by the way if you heard what he was saying folks despite our technical difficulties just a couple weeks ago we did a whole week on this idea as worship as a lifestyle and that's exactly what Randy is getting at that worship is more than when we come to church and when we're singing songs of praise it's more than when Randy as a musician is playing what we typically refer to as quote unquote worship music it's a reflection of our entire lifestyle. It's worship is a reflection of when we share the gospel. But why don't we back up a little bit? This is your understanding now. Tell us a little bit just about your own childhood and beginning to play music in church and then how that evolved as you went to college and then again, seminary and now post that as you're working in a local church and now as you are teaching future music ministers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I grew up in Toronto, Canada. Um, in my very humble, absolutely unbiased opinion, the greatest city, bar none, in North America. Uh, my parents are also from Canada, but they were originally from uh, a province just north of Maine uh, called New Brunswick. It's a two rural communities. They moved out to the city, uh, and that's where, where myself and my siblings, we were born in that city and we were raised in that city. And we grew up actually attending a church of a uh, percentage-wise, probably between 95 and 98% of our congregation were either uh, new immigrants to Canada, immigrants themselves to Canada, or first-generation Canadians, descendants of immigrants who had come to Canada from various parts of uh, the Caribbean, various parts of Africa. And of course, we had uh, some wonderful saints from other countries in Asia and Europe. With a, but we had a strong representation of the uh, Jamaican diaspora, the Caribbean diaspora in our local church. And so for us, our worship language 
the musical language we used was very rooted in the uh, music and musical styles of, of the Caribbean and um, was often uh, very expressive, both musically and in, in gestures of worship and in dance. You know, it was nothing for us on a Sunday night at the end of a service for there to be singing after altar call and people would just worship the Lord uh, through dance, through, through singing, through raising their hands. It was very expressive, very, very loud worship, which was wonderful. Um, it, it, I look back to those uh, expressions of worship so fondly because, you know, honestly, we grew up and, and my parents never told us any differently that our culture, our culture was different and had a different worship expression musically than the one we were in. They just allowed us to adopt that musical language, adopt that worship language. And, and we learned uh, worship songs, courses and, and hymns from hymnals that, that were really never used widely in North America, but were, were used a lot throughout the West Indies and worship courses that came with the diaspora to, uh, to North America, to Toronto, but also um, new courses that were written in, in North America that had a strong influence um, of the Caribbean musical dialects. So a lot of like a reggae, calypso, ska feels, and it, it involved a lot of, um, you know, in so many ways, because the music was the heart music of the people, when we sang of, of heaven, when we sang of going home, and it had this kind of connection to their native, to their home music um, that you hear, you know, throughout the, the Caribbean islands, it, it, it created this nostalgia in so many ways that this earth, even though we're living here, even though God is blessing us here, it's still not our home. You know, for so many of them, they, I remember, you know, coming to church in the middle of January. It's frigid cold in, in Toronto, as it does get uh, where you are, of course. And, and they would talk about, oh, they would tell my dad, Brother Demerchant, it, it, there's a nice breeze, but it never gets this cold in Jamaica. And they would talk about their home and, and reflect on the, the beautiful weather and, and the beautiful landscape. And they would talk about not liking just walking through the slush and, and dealing with the challenges of uh, urban life in, a, in, in the snow, which is never fun. Uh, snow is only fun when it's white and when it's on the ground on Christmas Day, and then after that, it's no good. Uh, and so they would, they would talk about their home and, and we would sing these songs about heaven using their musical language. And it really created the sense of nostalgia of heaven is our home, not, not where we were living. And it, it was it was really exciting and it was really cool to be a part of that. Now that I'm an adult, um, having been exposed to other cultures and seeing life from their perspective, understanding their journey, having walked with them through some of their challenges, uh, some of you know some of my you know dearest friends were were new uh, were new immigrants to Canada, were new Canadians, and that comes with a host of challenges. And it, it was, uh, now that I'm an adult, I'm, I'm grateful to have been a part of their journey becoming Canadians, but also to learn to trust God with them for the things that they needed. Uh, and then at home, our home life was, was wonderful. I, my, both of my parents were very active in our local church. Uh, I, I always tell everyone my father has taught the teen Sunday school class, uh, you know, since he was a teenager almost, I feel like. 
Um, and my mother uh, loved teaching, loves, she still teaches Sunday school, but she taught the adult Sunday school class when we were growing up. And absolutely, um, they did such a wonderful job. They were so passionate about discipling God's people in the word. And they were so excited to share the truth of God's word with God's people. But that wasn't just something that was public. Uh, they lived that out every day. Mom and dad were both uh, career people. They, they had um, secular jobs that they thrived in. And in many ways, they thrived in their careers because of God's blessing, uh, both of their competence and their skills, but also his favor. Um, but they also were examples to those around them. You know, I don't know how many times we would hear of, of colleagues of theirs who perhaps were struggling with certain uh, challenges in life. And, and they would, you know, because of their lifestyle, because of their conversation, were available to be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, in their workplace, to, to be a light. Um, my mother has been blessed to have a, a role in, in her industry that has taken her around the world. Uh, and, you know, I wholeheartedly believe that some of the lives she's touched uh, just simply by carrying the light of the truth of God's word with her, um, the people will be changed forever because of their interactions with her. Um, and so at home, we were, we were always filled with um, this lifestyle, this sense of worship. You know, it's funny, some of the things, uh, I, I have a friend who's an educator, and she always says, you know, you, everything you need to learn to get through life successfully, you learn in kindergarten. And then the rest of it, we just kind of remind you of that. And it's funny, I really learned a lot about worship from home, from them, from being uh, around them, from hearing them talk with us, um, hearing them prepare for their lessons, watching them pray, having them teach us to pray, reading the Bible together as a family. Uh, and, and another moment that we, I, I remember so clearly that helped shape what worship is, um, and, and more related to discipleship, a little less to missions, but we, my parents were small group leaders as well, and we hosted that small group in our home. And we worked with a family that was so, so wonderful and such a blessing um, to have in our home. They came from uh, non-Christian, non-Western cultures, and they knew nothing about scripture. And I remember as a teenager and, and as an older preteen, some of the questions they would ask would baffle me. Like, how do you not know any, any idea. And it was so amazing to see, um, to see mom and dad just so gracefully and tactfully, uh, rightfully divide the word of truth to make it so that it was understandable for these people, uh, for them to grow. But also it grew us as children. It grew the other members of our small group because now we had a foundation in God's word that there was no questions asked. We knew what scripture taught because it was explained to us over and over again at various levels through various stages um, as they discipled this couple and this family. And that was absolutely um, something that helped formulate and understand where and what we need to do as far as our private worship, our personal worship, and what that brings into the corporate setting. And then, of course, I, I attended Urshan. I said that earlier, I went to Gateway, and I, I had a wonderful professor who challenged that, uh, my paradigm of what worship was. But, you know, in addition to that, I made um, some great friends. You know, Brother Desi, you're one of, one of the great friends that came as a result of 
of our time in, in St. Louis, but also we made connections with other people who uh, were on the same journey of learning in regards to worship. And um, I think, uh, Brother Desi, you'll remember this. We were in a class together. I think you were the teacher or teaching assistant. And a comment was made, and it was really funny. The students uh, that had previously studied with this instructor regarding worship all we all got defensive at the same time because we were so passionate about what worship was and what that meant uh, for the apostolic church and for the kingdom of God. And I believe you had you had taken a graduate course with that professor at that time, and and you understood where we were coming from, and uh, were able to help us dialogue with some of the other students who maybe didn't have the same exposure as us. And it was it was just so refreshing to see that, and then to come here to Louisville uh, Southern Seminary is the is such an interesting school. Uh, they have had an interesting history, but some of the most, some of the interesting things about Southern is they're the first seminary in North America, exclusive seminary, not attached to a university, to offer the Doctor of Philosophy degree, which is the highest level of education in North America. It is also the first seminary in North America to offer formal training in church music and in hymnology. And that was a huge drawing card for me to come here because I, I, I love history. I love to see how we got to where we are um, as a people, as a nation, as a culture. But uh, the, the seminary really pushed me, um, even though they weren't oneness Pentecostal like we are, they pushed me to be true to my identity and to endeavor to, uh, they didn't challenge me in, in a sense that I needed to fight for my faith but to defend my positions and my point of views and to help me understand what, what happens on Sunday morning, what happens throughout the week and how that is a, a life of worship and how that life of worship becomes that life of missions, that life of evangelism. And it was so neat, you know, to hear uh, through some of the history, history of worship classes that we, we studied, you know, we looked through, um, the, the masses and how they, they evolved and changed. And we got to study some, some of the great hymns of the Christian faith. And these stories of these hymns are reflective and based on lives that were distinctive, but called those who did not know Christ to serve him. Uh, I, so many of the great hymns of the faith were written out of tragedy and to, to know that the one who, the, the hymn writer who wrote, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus," wrote that hymn after watching their family members drown in a river from trying to save someone else. Or the story of It Is Well With My Soul, the, the writer for that hymn, his, the text, his family were lost at sea. He lost everything he had. And yet he wrote a, a great text that that it is well with my soul, understanding being anchored in, in Jesus Christ. And, and we even see that same uh, greatness in our hymns, uh, hymns that were written by Oneness Pentecostals, by apostolics um, throughout, throughout history. You know, we have, um, I see a crimson stream of blood, which is, is the most well-known apostolic hymn in, in all of Christendom, written by G.T. Haywood, uh, which talks about the, the Calvary's hill of sorrow where sin's demands were paid 
and and it follows that the time that the that time period we call that the, the romantic time period because of how the hymn is laid out, and it it ends with this call for for sinners to come home to to experience that crimson stream of blood, and and that is so part of our heritage, and it's just linked so beautifully with what Scripture teaches us, and we see that. Um, so wonderfully, even even in the Old Testament, you know, New Testament worship and how we worship today as apostolics isn't explicitly prescribed in the New Testament. And that's done for a very specific reason. That's because the New Testament church is transcultural. It, it reaches to nations and regions around the world and peoples around the world that it doesn't matter the specifics, what hymn the order of the hymns, the ritual doesn't need to be specified. It's, it's their, uh, the theology of worship and the practice of worship presented in the New Testament is very broad because it focuses more on the lifestyle of the believer drawing people in to Christ. And we see that still in the, in the Old Testament. Even the Old Testament worship is very prescribed, very clearly laid out. You know, this is this type of sacrifice, this type of animal that has to look this way is used for this, uh, at this moment, at this time of the year. This is the ceremony. This is how it goes through. My mother was a tabernacle expert. I think blindfolded, she could like lay out a tabernacle with furniture in our home. Um, but, uh, you know, the Old Testament, it very clearly prescribes worship. But that prescribed worship, uh, at the end of the day, even though it was for the children of Israel to engage with God and to help establish a rhythm, a lifestyle that glorified God. It also drew the nations who served other gods in towards them. It set them apart as a holy nation, but it also called Israel to be missional, to share the good news of their covenant with Yahweh and, and, to a certain degree, almost uh, shared that gospel with with the nations around them, and 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 that's kind of something that really uh, we have to look at and consider a lot today as apostolics, especially in this time, this trying time that we live in. I, before the COVID nineteen and this novel coronavirus that isn't so novel now, uh, you know, took over the world in a pandemic form. My wife and I often would talk about some of our colleagues that we had built relationships with. And I remember saying to her once, I said, you know, that individual, she is so sweet, but doesn't she just always seem like she's just on the verge of tears? You know, she just, one thing could just set her on edge. And there have been moments where we have been in spaces where people have come to us because there has been peace, there has been calm, there has been stability. And, you know, there, when you worship the rock, there is no other rock like our rock. And people realize that. And that worship is part of your lifestyle. It is your lifestyle. And it calls us to share that with others. Look what God has done. Does that, does that help you out a little bit, Brother Lugo? It does. Thank you so much for being willing to share that. And so we're coming up now on the point in our broadcast where if you have questions, we're going to get to our Q&A portion. And so 
If you have questions, please go ahead and begin to submit those into the chat part. And I'm going to keep sharing my screen in this format. It's a bit different. So that way we don't lose the, the video and that lovely headshot of Randy, even though it's, <laughs> it's, it's like a window within a window within a window. If you could see my end of this program and what it looks like, it's kind of crazy. But Despite our technical difficulties tonight, I appreciate all of your patience. Go ahead and submit your questions. And I have one to lead off with coming from myself, and then you can go ahead and answer this a little shorter. You mentioned how at home with your parents, uh, I know, you being my friend, that you, your brother, and your sister are all musicians. And so if I remember correctly, your, your parents, though, are not musicians like the three of you are. Is that a fair <laughs> statement? That is a fair statement. Hello, folks. Restream just crashed, like completely came down. If you can see me, I'm going to text my friend on the side and see if he can rejoin. And let's see, maybe he might even come up this time. And if not, let's see who can see us live and what's going on here. If you can still see me, if you don't mind, if you can hear me, can someone put a question in the comments or just comment saying, yes, Desi, we can still see you. This has been one crazy broadcast this evening. I am so, so sorry for this. You have all been incredibly patient. If nothing else, this has told me that we're going to have to have my friend Randall DeMerchant come back on a different Friday night when we're not having as many technical difficulties. But let's see if we can go ahead and get this up and live once again. I am texting him to see if maybe he can rejoin. Anybody in the comments, can you see what I am doing? Excellent. Thank you, Samantha. I appreciate you saying that you can see me. I'm glad to know at least Samantha's still with me. Sorry about all of the trouble tonight. Thank you, Becky. I'm waiting for my friend to rejoin us and let's see if he can get back in once again and we can try. One moment, folks. Thank you for your patience. This has been one crazy evening. I apologize for my silence. I'm not all that great at trying to communicate with him and also host and smile at the camera and do all of that at the same time. So one moment, folks. Thank you for your patience. Nothing like doing this live and learning on the go. I think. Thank you, Alan family. You're being very kind. Let's see if do this. 
We changed devices here. You changed devices. Let's see. Um, if you are watching, let me ask, can you all see his face and can you hear him? So he changed devices. He's going to try joining from a different device. I don't know about everybody else at the moment. I've got a good shot of your forehead, Randy. So you may want to adjust your camera angle. Sorry. It's it's my cell phone. So we're, we're doing it teeny bopper style. All right. Can anyone see him? And we're back to hearing you, but not seeing you. I have no idea. <laughs> so we're going to try this wonky share my screen again. Let's see if this does it. Okay. So I apologize for that. Let's go back to our questions. And I have some questions that did, that did come through. So let's go ahead and take a couple questions. So here's one of them. In this challenging time, what do you feel worship can look like? So you, as you know, here we are in the Northeast. We're not able yet to come back together in our physical buildings. So what do you feel worship can look like right now? And what can we learn from this? Absolutely. I think um, it is so important that we continue to do the best we can in the circumstances and, and, and thank God for technology uh, to connect and gather as much as possible through the means made available to us. Um, now, what does that mean for our time of singing? Um, what does that mean for communion? What does that mean for baptisms? How does this, you know, this raises a lot of questions. I think first and foremost and fundamentally, this time, this crisis that we live in right now has provided us the opportunity as individuals to build our personal and private worship time. And what I mean by that is, you know, it, we so often rely on conferences and large gatherings for our time of worship. We are not used to a private and personal routine of personal worship, of private worship. Because when our homes reopen and we go back into the workforce, when we go back uh, to uh, interacting with people, there is going to be a degree of concern, of fear in the air. And that is where we come in as apostolics, as spirit-filled Christians who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses again. Um, I, I long for the days where all of our churches in, in North America and across Europe can gather and sing as loud as they want for as long as they want, as closely together as possible. Right now in this moment and in this time, I believe God is calling us as a church to grow in our personal and private time of worship. And I believe wholeheartedly that as we grow in that private time of worship, whether that's singing songs on your own, reading scripture, writing melody in your heart and, and singing a psalm in the time of, of aloneness in your home, I wholeheartedly believe that when we regather, when we come back together corporately as, you know, here in the United States, as the states and in Canada, the provinces slowly open it and churches can have 30% capacity and 50% capacity, you know, getting up to 100. I believe that the time that we gather after this time of building our private worship 
will be richer, will be sweeter, but it will also allow us to go out into the world and to be salt and to be light and to do and to, and to be that witness and to continue to worship God outside of the context and the walls of the church. Excellent. Thank you. So you mentioned earlier, and this is where I was starting to go when, when the broadcast crashed and we had to reboot. <laughs> um, I know that you, your brother, and your sister are all musicians, have gone to school for music. Um, you grew up in a home where your parents love music, but they're not professional musicians like all three of their children turned out. And yet you talked about the fact that growing up in your home, your parents taught you to worship at home. So I'm going to combine two questions. One would be kind of a, what did that look like? And then we had a question that came in and said, how would you encourage parents to teach their children all aspects of worship? So are you willing to share a little bit about what your house looked like growing up? Maybe even, maybe even if I can add this little softball, certain story about ice cream privileges. <laughs> maybe. Um, <laughs> and then how as parents, we can teach our children to worship. That's a loaded question. My wife and I, we're new parents. One, We have one year of parenting under our belt. Randy um, and Erica are also both musicians. So you're, you're, we're talking about a home where by training, they're both professional musicians. So, um, so, so what does that first, look like? Uh, and what so about mom and dad are who are not professional musicians? What does it look <laughs> like? Yeah, absolutely. So first, mom and dad are not um, musicians. Uh, dad uh, sang in the choir growing up. Uh, first, before I was able to participate in music and worship as a child, my father sang in the choir. And then um, later, he was my ride to and from rehearsal. So he was also in the tenor section. Um, this, and uh, so he can carry two in a bucket. Um, my mom is, is not, um, she makes a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I love her very dearly. Um, but is, is by no means... Uh, interested in pursuing a senior level recital for at a collegiate level. Um, but my parents, uh, to combine both questions, you have to walk the walk and talk the talk before you can teach your children. Oh. And that also includes um, acknowledging your mistakes and having humility to uh, understand when as a parent and as an adult, you've made a mistake and to uh, admit that to your children and to let them see your humanity and and, and, and to see um, kind of the redemptive nature of our lifestyle come, come out in full force. Um, there's, there was, it, it never seemed unreasonable for our mother or father to ask us to pray for any particular thing because our parents prayed in front of us, but also oh, that's in a private. Point. It was never unreasonable. Even though my mom, you know, we, we always used to tease her for her singing. You know, my mom would insist that we sang on Sundays when it was time to sing, but she always sang. Always. There was no, there was no reason not to sing when a song is playing and it's time for congregational singing for corporate worship you sing and she sang and she insisted that we sang and that they were able to do that because they did that themselves. They had that already in place. Now, so as your parents as, taught you worship and your brother and sister 
by living it out. You talk about your parents teaching Bible studies, hosting small groups, praying yeah. regularly at home. Did you sing at home? Uh, we didn't sing that much at home, uh, like intentionally. And the main reason for that is, you know, you have to, as parents, you have to kind of balance your children. They had musically inclined children. We can do the singing on our own. We were we were good at that. We we would sit down. I would sit down at the piano and and we would hash through the the hymnal a hundred times over in whatever keys we could figure it out and, and try to figure out some of some you know some worship songs here and there. And it wasn't that wasn't really something maybe we needed as children, but what we did need. They kind of acted as a counterweight as I slide my phone back and forth and the camera tilts. Um, they acted as a counterweight to um, what we were good at to round us out as worshipers, as believers. But also they were willing to have, you know, living by example was so key and so important and, and having high expectations was important. But they engaged us on issues that were happening around the world and in our country and in our community and taught us explicitly and very clearly on what the appropriate apostolic response was and how that glorified God in many ways. I remember uh, in the 12th grade, I, I took English literature classes for my English credits and we were selected. I went to a public high school and a book was selected um, for us to read that uh, was very inappropriate content wise um, for anyone, never mind a 12th grade student, and, and explored themes that were just not, were not good. And um, we approached the uh, faculty about that. And the, the, the administration had uh, created alternatives for us. But in the classroom, there was still a degree of um, uh, uh, tension between the instructor and myself. And my mom and dad, mom and dad would take the time to build our character, to put the correct words in our mouths that reflected the beauty of being spirit filled and how that in turn affected um, our testimony, but how that really did ultimately bring glory to God. Excellent. You avoided the ice cream part. This has nothing to do with proper parenting styles, but I would love, I know the answer to this, but please, just for some some levity, share with everyone as you were learning. Now, keep in mind, and he's being very kind and humble, and we'll have him back on another time. Um, my good friend Randy here is quite the musician. If I remember correctly, your first literacy was music. Uh, yes. <laughs> I and could read music before if, English if, or French. It didn't make sense. He learned to read sheet music before he learned to read words. So we're talking about someone who is exceptionally musically talented. And so are his siblings. And so growing up, I know you've shared stories with me about your mother and how you all loved ice cream. But in order to get ice cream at evening time, what did you have to do? Uh, there were instances where we would wane and be weary in our practicing and at times uh, I remember very clearly having to play passages of music, classical or, or church music that we were learning or whatnot. Um, and we had to play them well enough to, to earn that ice cream privilege and be able to 
um, enjoy our ice cream. And sometimes that meant um, you didn't get ice cream that day. Um, <laughs> you had to meet mama's standard of excellence in order to get your ice cream that night. Which was interesting, um, you know, that they uh, they saw a degree of excellence. They saw a calling and they saw potential. And I believe that they were relentless in um, cultivating that in us as, as children um, because they wanted to see that those gifts used for God's glory and, and his kingdom. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that little side note. Question for you. Um, do you think this came from one of the, the young people in our church? They asked, do you think that each church's music should be catered to that congregation? no matter what other churches around them are doing? Or do you think, especially as Pentecostals and apostolics, I'm adding a few words to this, is there a certain sound, if I can put it that way, that you know our churches should have? This is something that I have recently um, really fallen in love with and have- It's really a good question, about. isn't it? It's a great question. It's, it's so a complex excited. question. <laughs> and it's so relevant to, to being a New Testament church. So I, um, I've, I've likened this in the car, so I'm going to share this publicly. I, I got this idea from one of my professors, and I've really been chewing on this concept a little bit. So we uh, are not uh, Roman Catholic. We do not have a prescribed liturgy, worship service every week. No one tells any of our local church pastors, this is how you're going to do Sunday morning. You're going to sing this song, read this Old Testament passage, sing these two songs, sing this New Testament passage, you're going to take the offering at this time exactly, blah, 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 blah. We don't have that in our tradition. We uh, are a little more rooted in the congregation and serving the needs of each unique congregation. I liken it to um, a homeowner's association and a neighborhood watch. See, the homeowner's association is very strict. Every house has the same brick, the same type of plants, the same interlock brick. They have their lawn mowed at the same time in the same way, and it looks exactly the same. Whereas the neighborhood watches, I'm going to own my house, you're going to own your house. We're going to watch out for each other, but my house and your house, they're both going to have roofs, they're going to have gardens, they're going to have lawns and driveways, but you're going to mow your lawn in your time and how you want to, and I'm going to mow my lawn my way, but... Ultimately, we're going to make sure we're taking care of, that our houses are still standing, that the fence is still standing, and that everything that needs to be there is still taken care of, but we're going to respect your decisions. That same principle can be loosely applied to our local churches, to our apostolic churches. I said earlier that the New Testament church did not have a specific and strictly prescribed format of worship. That being applied today in the 21st century in any local church is this. The musical language, the life experience is so different from one community to the next. Uh, let's take us here in this time right now, uh, Brother Desi. On Sunday, I got to go to church and play the organ. We were open. We, had the, we, meet the, we met the state's requirements. We had some social distancing rules put into place and whatnot, but my church on Sunday, we gathered for worship in person in a building. I don't say that to make anyone feel jealous or upset. 
But what we did worked and fit in our community for this time where our community is in. Whereas in the new work here in Delaware at the moment. Absolutely. In Delaware, you know, your pastor must watch out for the souls of his saints, not only to make sure they make it to heaven, but he has to be stewards of their earthen vessels that contain the Holy Spirit. And it would be unwise for him to potentially expose his congregation to uh, this novel coronavirus. And so at this moment, Pastor Beardsley and, and the ministry team there in, in Delaware are selecting to hold services the, in, in the manner they're having services. The same is true in music. You know, I absolutely, absolutely, wholeheartedly, my heart language is Hammond organ, very jazz feeling, jazz oriented gospel music with strong hymn-like text. That's my personal aesthetic. And there are some churches where that works really, really well. There are other churches where, you know, I could imagine in, in the Appalachian portions of this country, in the mountains of, of Virginia or Tennessee, where a Hammond organ would be senseless. They worship God most authentically with their musical language that might feature guitars and banjos and mandolins and it is no less apostolic to feature that style of music that's a great it point. Is, it's true to that culture and, and you know social media has made the world much smaller i mean here we are i'm in louisville you're in delaware and we're having a conversation together and the whole world is watching or potentially watching <laughs> but you need yeah. to be true to where you are to who you are and to the community in which you're serving and to the community in which your church belongs. So as a young person, you know, when I was a young person, I would watch some of our, our large churches and our tradition and just go, oh, I just wish we could sing this song. I wish we could do it just like this worship leader does because he was so cool and he was amazing and his musical level was really high and I wanted to do new songs because I was young. But that might not have worked for my the rest of my congregation it might not have worked well for my fellow believers. They might not have been able to engage in that style of music and that, that language of music. And so I think, um, you know, where, where you are in the community you're in and the church you're in, you need to realize that the style of music and the music that is chosen needs to authentically reflect how you worship in your, in your community. You know, I, I can't imagine... Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Brother Lugo, uh, you know, we're probably not going to see a lot of Southern gospel in, in the New England states, especially the, the highly urbanized regions. That has uh, not been my experience over the last three years. I'll yes. put it that way. I moved here. I'm not native to the Northeast. You guys can correct me in the comments if I'm wrong. But so far, my exposure has not been, no, that there are not large amounts of Southern gospel in the church yeah. up in this area. But we can contrast to maybe my grandmother's church, just north of Maine. Literally, I'm sure you could spit from the church and hit the border. And they do Southern gospel. They do it well. They do it faithfully. But the text of their songs reflect the truth of God's word. They reflect our apostolic experience. They share the gospel. They encourage the soul. And the people there love it. It's their language. They wouldn't understand urban gospel settings or wouldn't appreciate um, some of the contemporary styles that are more common, um, maybe on the West Coast. 
And so, you know, you need to be true to what the musical language is of your community. That's a great answer. Thank you for sharing that. There's a question from another man in our church. He said, worship is such a broad spectrum in terms of how we do. So in your opinion, do you consider music to be the best form of worship to reach others who are not normally worshipers? We're not Christians. I'll reword it a little bit that way. You okay. consider the best or what you, how would you answer that question? So I wholeheartedly believe that all of the art forms were created to glorify God. I, I believe that true beauty points us to the ultimate beauty. You know, when you uh, go out to the, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, or my wife is from Colorado and she's uh, from the base, uh, from Colorado Springs, the base of, of Pikes Peak, or, or where my, my family is from on the east coast of Canada, or, you know, where I've seen uh, of this great country or, or any other country my wife and I or family have visited, the, the natural nature points us to beauty and points us to God. And I believe that all art forms um, point us to God and point us to share the gospel. And they do glorify God. Uh, to say that music is the best, I think would be um, a, a little unfair. I would say this. Music is the safest. The sung word is the safest because it is the most explicit and concrete because we're singing the words but i often think back to um other artistic works that uh were done as devotional forms of art you know i've uh, the the campus that you and i attended uh, was previously a monastery that uh, was owned by the friend uh friends uh, from a Catholic. I forget uh, which order, but it, it was a Catholic order, monastery yeah. before it became Gateway, and then later Urshan. Yeah, yeah, it was a Jesuit right. monastery. Sorry, Jesuit. I, I, that's I it. Get that's that word it. out. Yes, it was a Jesuit and monastery. The stained glass in the chapel was absolutely stunning. It was gorgeous. Um, they were beautiful, it, beautiful windows. Beautiful, beautiful pieces of artwork. But my favorite was the the piece that was in the back that you could see from the pulpit. And, you, you know, the pipes of the pipe organ surrounded it. And it was this beautiful mosaic of the cross. And I often just felt like as, as a student leading worship and a student playing and, and singing, I often felt so compelled to understand the beauty of what happened at Calvary by observing that cross. Whether it was in times of singing or in times of prayer or simply just walking by the chapel, walking through the chapel and looking up and seeing that great work that often pointed me to, to, to Christ. And I think the same is true for, for any art form, whether it be dance, whether it be um, theater, of course, which has concrete words in it, or any, uh, any other art form, you know, that really draws us in to understand what God is doing and, and his greatness. Um, you know, I, so I won't necessarily say music is the best, um, but it, it is something that we see a lot in scripture. It's very concrete. I, I like it, the way you said that. It's, it's very concrete and it's very explicit. explicit. Yes. Good answer. Thank you. Another question for you. Do you think God is stymied by our current constraints of worship? And if so, how do we proceed? Or if not, what, do you feel anything's wanting in this season? You know, I'm not going to 
tell you who submitted the question. You could probably guess, but there's there's a certain theological pastoral underpinning to this question if you're not feeling For it. the benefit of, uh, <laughs> of our listeners, Brother Lugo, do you want to define some of those big words? Okay. So do you feel that God is boxed in right now? We'll say that instead of stymied. By the current constraints of our worship. And if so, what should we do about it? And if he's not, you know, boxed in, or if he's not disappointed, if he's not constrained by our quote-unquote lack of worship, at least in our normal sense, do you feel anything's wanting right now? Yeah. So it has a very pastoral tone to that question, doesn't it? It does. I wonder who submitted it. <laughs> Surely not somebody who wears glasses. Um, I think... Uh, first, I always say this. I've been in, 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 in worship settings, both within our uh, apostolic churches and in other churches, where God's spirit has moved in an amazing way. And I am often reminded that God's grace is greater than any human shortcoming. Mm. And that he responds to to faith and responds to to the heart. Now, that being said, I don't think we can then just decide to write off what we're doing because my heart is in the right place and the Lord knows my heart. I think as to respond to the maybe possible potential pastoral perspective that is asking, I think as leaders in our local churches and even as as saints, as members of our churches, we want to thrive and strive every day to live our lives in a way that most accurately reflects the truth and beauty of God's word. And that reflects the gospel that has saved us and our response to that. So that means that every day we are walking on a journey to more appropriately, more biblically worship the Lord to glorify him in a way that most each day reflects his word a little bit more. Um, in our local churches, you know, one thing that I, I grew up with and that I long to see more people experience is a consistency of communion. I, the church I grew up in, we had communion once a month and it was such an amazing time. It, it, it was, it was a heavy time. It was a, re, a time that was celebratory. Um, it called us to repentance, called us to understand what happened at Calvary. It showed us our moral bankrupt nature, our nature that was completely morally bankrupt, and uh, that the one who held the debt paid the debt. And I, I really loved that about communion. And, and I long for that for other apostolics because some of our, our brethren only do communion once or twice a year. And I feel that they lose out and their saints lose out on the opportunity to experience the heaviness of Calvary every day. Because, you know, we love to celebrate the resurrection. And I am so glad the tomb is empty. I am so glad that three days later he arose. And, and, and that is everything. But the cross, we don't have an empty tomb without a cross with a Savior hanging on it. And I, I, you know, in our worship practices, I feel as though 
perhaps we can explore a little bit more of the heavy, of the uncomfortable nature and elements of worship to help us celebrate greater, to help us have a greater understanding of the victory we have in Jesus by understanding where we were without the cross. You know, a lot of people say, Brother Desi, um, to me, when I share my just my testimony and, and life story, they say, oh, well, you were raised in church and in a stable family, you know, and, and in a sense, they diminish the what the cross being applied and the blood being applied to my life has meant. But it, it, it doesn't matter what family, what type of family I was raised in. My parents could have, my I could have come from a, a broken home and I still need the blood today, every day applied to my life regardless of my background and I need to celebrate that, but I need to understand the weight of what that is. And that's maybe something we're missing in our, in our worship and, and communion in so many ways does that and fulfills that, that for us brings in that gravitas. So do you feel that God is boxed in right now with all these churches that are unable to meet in person? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, I think this is causing us and forcing us to be innovative, to use the tools at our fingertips to uh, share the gospel and to figure out new ways to celebrate communion together, to celebrate the resurrection together. Um, It has forced our families in a lot of ways to celebrate communion together, to celebrate uh, the resurrection together, to have conversations even about, uh, about the cross um, and, and I really, you know, to, as I've, as we've gone through this pandemic, my wife and I have seen many of those who have maybe walked away from the Lord, who have never experienced God, who have been inundated with apostolic churches, uh, sharing their content through various social media platforms and are now asking questions about, is God really real? Whereas before this pandemic, there was no even concept to think about God whatsoever. Uh, I think that God is not boxed through this. I think that he is showing us that perhaps prior to this pandemic, we were putting him in a box. Hmm. Hmm. It's a good point. That's a good point. Well, I appreciate your patience my friend, as we have had a myriad of unexpected technical issues tonight, and you were even willing to switch devices, and I appreciate your flexibility. Church family, thank you so much for staying on a few extra minutes tonight and hanging with us. You have some excellent questions. We didn't get to all of them, so I'm going to put you on the spot and ask, if sometime down the road we tried this again, would you be willing to come back on and join us again? Absolutely, and maybe we can figure out our screen situation so that I can see you instead of a reflection of a reflection of a reflection of you. Fair enough. And then in addition to that, now I'm really putting you on the spot. Is there any chance if we can get you to come back again at some point in the future that we could be set up where you are by your piano and might you be willing to answer questions and perhaps even play a little bit in that broadcast? 
we will see what the what what the Lord has in store, brother. <laughs> Such a careful answer. Thank you so so much for joining us and to our wonderful Newark Church family. Thank you once again for being patient with us tonight during our broadcast. You can visit our church website at newarkupc.info. You can click on our online campus and you can find all kinds of information about what we're doing and in the very very well, it's actually tomorrow. Tomorrow we start a brand new series. I don't want to tell you what it is. You'll just have to join in at 7 p.m. So don't forget to join your small groups next week. Don't forget to join us each evening at 7 p.m. except for Mondays where we will be doing our broadcast. And if you are a guest with us, we are so glad that you joined us. We'd be delighted if you join us again sometime every Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. We do a Friday night with friends. Unlike every Friday night, our restream broadcast doesn't crash and we don't have to work through multiple workarounds. So hopefully this won't happen again. But God bless you all. Thank you for coming and have a good night.